Uh, today, our story brings us to eight people who were bludgeoned to death in their beds at night. And uh, it's probably one of the most popular axe murderer stories that has ever been told. Everybody knows it as the Velisca Axe Murders, and it happened in Iowa in, on June 10th in 1912. And you are listening to Clapped by Fire. The Apocalypse. Yo, what's up, guys? Hey, how's it going? Hey, good. I, I gotta do some clarification. Uh, we've got some feedback about the podcast name, so I'm gonna start off with just a little story today before uh, Sean takes over and serenades us with his uh, beautiful voice. First things first, it is John's birthday. Happy birthday, Mr. John. Happy birthday, brother. Uh, we're happy that we're too. here. We're happy you're here. You're a great asset to this show, and uh, we love you. Oh, thanks, guys. That's so sweet. But the fact that you brought it up makes me want to uh, bring in my axe murdering skills. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Hey. <laughs> okay, so this little story I'm going to start off with is... Um, Okay, so so the pandemic hit, and I started this podcast. This podcast was called At My Command, and it was just something I did on YouTube. We only did like six episodes, and the kid that I was doing it with completely flaked on me, and uh, yeah, just kind of just kind of completely broke up after just a couple episodes. And then this huge desire to want to start a podcast again and find some individuals that were super motivated. Um, that, that was kind of there. It was kind of up in the air, up in the air, up in the air. And then I ended up meeting John and Sean, our two fabulous co-hosts. And, uh, you know, we talked about it, we talked about it, we talked about it, and then we freaking made it happen. So if you guys know anything about podcasts podcasts you have to have a very generic name or you know you have to have a really you have to like really good catchy name but there's so many podcasts out there that it's kind of hard to find a flipping name um at my command was something that i started a band when i was in high school we played like two times and then we broke up so i, I don't know i thought that name was super cool and then with finding this new team of people wanted to you know do some rebranding and uh to get come up with a new name so I cannot tell you how long we started this podcast and didn't have a name for. And that's kind of like the first step to starting a podcast is something to call yourself by. And you come up with all these names and then you get online and you find that all these names are already taken. All the cool names that are already taken like cool podcast or the badass podcast or the get nude podcast. It's already all taken. All the cool names are taken. So what do you do? You get on a name generator and uh, you scroll and you scroll and you scroll and you scroll. Still cannot find jack crap. So a long time passed by. Still no name. Still no name. Uh, Sean told me told me a couple things and I I don't know. Just, just couldn't come up with something. Couldn't come up with something. And then uh, I don't know. I got on. And I, I was like looking up like pirate names and all these ones were coming up. And then this one popped up, clapped by fire. And I was like, dang, that name sounds pretty dope. And so 
there's a couple ways. I'm just going to explain like the meaning of the name clapped by fire. Have you ever like held out your hand with all your fingers spread apart and you Texas starred someone so hard oh, on the goddamn back that it burned and it just, just hurt like horribly? You guys ever had that happen to you? Yeah, a couple times. Oh, yeah. So uh, there's a – in Russia, they do this thing called slap fighting where literally people will train and bodybuild and uh, they'll stand you know, across each other from a little table and they, they straight up just will bitch slap each other you know, one after another to find out who's the strongest person. So, so clapped is actually an American slang word. And if you look it up in the Urban Dictionary, clapped means the act of getting completely and utterly obliterated during combat. So, clapped by fire, use your imagination. We are telling you a story each week. We are researching these stories, so we're aggressively researching these stories, finding out this information, and then telling it to you. Or you can think of it as more of a, you know, I told you this sto- this topic and you weren't listening, so I, like, slapped you across. I don't know. Up to your imagination. But that's pretty much the gist of the name. We went, like, three months without a freaking podcast name, and that's the first one that we came up with that, you know, I don't know. I thought it was sick, and then you tell everyone, and everyone's like, yeah, it sounds pretty freaking dope. So that that that's what the name means. And then also, you know, clapped can also mean, like, a lot of other things. Like, you got super drunk. Like, that guy's completely clapped. Or, you know, it just, it's a word that is an American slang word that just means, like, aggressive or it's an action word. Clapped by fire. Clapped by the subject. Also, we tell you uh, I think word. it's also a part of a, I think it's also an STD as well. Um, so, I mean, a different, <laughs> yeah. different way of looking at that. But, you know, uh, like, apparently, you know, if you you like it, if you get clapped, you know, you can that as well so hopefully <laughs> hopefully that just clears up some uh some uh <laughs> it's the one uh, time you want to get the clap right <laughs> exactly <laughs> or, or you know you show up <laughs> you show up to your homies you're like i just got clapped last night or or dude i'm gonna go clap the gym or you know it just just means you're gonna do something aggressively clapped by fire you know i don't know i think it's a dope name it's it's not taken so you know what we flip and took it <clears throat> oh, I like it. And then just a little update. So last week we Eek. talked about those uh, that murder that happened down in Enoch where the dad uh, – so what the police are saying, it's a murder-suicide. Um, the wife filed for divorce. All we really know is the guy, uh, he sold insurance. He was active in his church. His wife filed for divorce. And uh, they said that he killed his wife, his mother-in-law, and then went in the rooms and killed each one of his seven children before turning the gun on himself. And it was also John's brother's neighbor. Or John's, yeah, John's brother's neighbor. Pretty crazy. Yeah, so my brother apparently did some stuff uh, church-wise with him. Uh, The oldest daughter uh, was actually friends with my niece as well, so... It's uh, hearing that story kind of freaked me out last week, but uh, you know, went ahead and did some research while we were recording and found out that it wasn't them. But still, it's a sad, sad, very, very sad story, and it kind of hits close to you know some of my family members. Sure, that's sad, man. 
So there's two other things that I'd, I I want to go over before we start this today. Um, number one, if you're whining and bitching about the rain right now, get the hell out of here. We live in Utah where the Great Salt Lake's going to dry up and all these toxic chemicals are going to get blown. It's going to destroy the ecosystem and kill everybody. Like, we need water right now. <laughs> it's been snowing and raining, like, every day. I have, like, my window cracked open. It's so nice. And uh, I don't know. You get on social media, and everyone's just cursing the rain. But in the summertime, everybody's like, we need water. We're in a horrible drought, yada, yada, yada. So, I don't know. Just, you know, <laughs> if you don't like the rain, suck it up. We need it so bad in this area. Utah is a desert um, the census reported that there was over 60,000 people that had moved into Utah County last year. Trust me, we need all the water we can get. So just be grateful that nature is blessing us with H2O right now. For sure. For Even sure, for sure. That's the word of the podcast, too, for sure. <laughs> From what I was reading about that is... So far, halfway through the year, we're at 160 something percent of what we need to be. So they say within, if we have two or three winters like that, we'll be completely out of the drought area. But right now, we're above average of what we should be, which is a good sign. That's awesome. And then, okay, this last thing that I want to share before before Sean takes over is I woke up and I watched this TikTok this morning, and it, it, it's going to go a little align with uh, the topic today, but, you know, it's also a little bit different. So, Sean and John, I got a question for you guys. Shoot. Have you ever heard of the term saved by the bell? <laughs> yeah. Also, I used to love to watch the TV show way back when I was a kid, so. Do you guys know where saved by the bell came from? <laughs> Uh, I heard about it back in the day. I can't tell you what it was now, um, but I had one of those bathroom reader books. It tells you all those little random, you know, random facts, random stories, and uh, it was in there. But uh, I could not tell you exactly what it came from now. So I'm, I'm going to tell you real fast. I just, I just, I heard this, and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, that is insane!" So. <laughs> Saved by the Bell, they don't know exactly where it came from, but they believe it came from pretty much two different things. One is the typical boxing. You have a three-minute round. You've got six rounds, three minutes. And what happens is when the time's up, the bell rings. And when the terminology saved by the bell means that the bell went off, so you had to stop fighting, which means that you pretty much escaped from getting defeated you you were saved by the bell you know you're punching some dude in the face your uh your stamina is running out and so the terminology is saved by the bell uh a lot of people believe it comes from boxing but oh, i remember a, what it is now another terminology saved by the bell so in the 19th century um <laughs> I'm not really sure where this information came from. I'm just kind of speaking out of my ass for the moment. But um, apparently doctors back in the day weren't that good. You know, obviously the 1800s, they were telling people to like smoke and chew tobacco because it's good for you. Um, you know, just kind of basic information like that. So apparently a lot of people were like getting knocked out 
or you know or i'm not i'm not even sure but they would bury them and then for some reason they'd have to dig up the grave and they'd found out that they'd buried the person alive and they had tried to scrape and scrape through the coffin to try to get out and so after a couple of this times happening they're like this is awful we're burying people alive and so they came up with this method where next to the grave they put these little bells <laughs> and they would tie the rope to your arm or either your leg and so if you were told that um you know hey this person's dead and they buried you and you actually weren't dead you could uh you know shake your hand and ring the bell <laughs> and somebody would come save you based on the terminology of saved by the bell but <laughs> You also have to understand that when people die, their bodies bloat. Um, people will still di digest food. You know, they, I'm sure you've heard the terminology that dead people still like pass gas and stuff. So they were burying people, and then they'd hear the bell ringing, <laughs> and they'd go dig them up, and they'd still be dead. <laughs> so uh, I guess that's the terminology of where Saved by the Bell came from, is either you got buried alive or a boxing ring. Crazy man, funny. Yeah, about halfway through your first explanation, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's where it was. That's where I. That's what I remembered." Uh, I learned years ago, but uh, in my old age of thirty-eight, um, you know, definitely forget all those wonderful things that I've already already knew. Good old Kai, like me and Sean. <laughs> I heard that this morning, and I was like, I heard that, that this morning, and I was like, oh, I'm definitely throwing that in. So, yeah, that's there pretty you good. Okay, go. yeah. Mr. Sean, I'm pumped for the story. Take it away, sir. <laughs> All right. So, most of you have probably heard this story in some fashion because um, it is a pretty popular one. But, you know, it was one that caught my attention, and, and I like to tell it. I like the uh, macabre, I like the darker stories, you know. Um, so, this is the uh, Villisca Axe Murders. And um, Monday, June 10th, 1912, in a small town of Villisca, Iowa, eight people were murdered, two adults and six children. Josiah B. Moore, age 43, and his wife, Sarah Moore, age 39. Their children were Herman Moore, age 11, Catherine Moore, age 10, Boyd Moore, age 7, and Paul Moore, age 5. Along with two friends who were staying the night, Lena Stillinger, age 12, and Ina Stillinger, age 8. All were bludgeoned to death in their beds using the end of an axe, and to this day, the murder is still unknown. Our story starts with the Moore family. They were... Oh, I'm so sorry, guys. Yeah. I lost track of my thing already. So real fast, why John's or Sean's finding that, I actually just looked up pictures of the house, and uh, the house just looks like a pretty average like olden day just a white white barn house like farmhouse yeah and there's a big sign in the front that says the axe murders yeah um it's it's pretty popular site right now but um yeah we're good uh, our story starts with more family and uh, they were a well-known and respected family in the community of Villisca and active members of the presbyterian church nearby um on sunday the evening of june 9th 1912 Joe and his wife Sarah took their four children, Herman, Catherine, Boyd, and Paul, to a Children's Day service at the Presbyterian Church. 
staying with them were Lena and Ina Stillinger. They were neighbor friends who were, I guess, friends with the older daughter. Uh, they had asked their parents permission to stay the night, and uh, yeah, they were good with it. So the Children's Day service was an end-of-the-year school program. Um, Sarah, the mother, was a co-director, and her children performed little speeches and recitations along with the other school members. The service lasted until 9.30 that night, and afterwards, the family and their friends walked three blocks back to their home, where the evening ended with milk and cookies. Little did the family know that some person or persons were waiting for them to go to sleep. Around midnight, all eight occupants of the home were bludgeoned to death. The next morning around 7.30, Mary Peckham, a neighbor to the west, knows something was strange. The family was not out doing their chores, all the blinds were closed on the house, and no one answered the door. The more resident uh, looked pretty deserted, so she knocked on the door and tried the door handle, but it was locked, and she couldn't see inside. She then went back home and called Joe Moore, Joe Moore's brother, sorry, Ross, a local pharmacist to come and check on the family. Ross had entered the property using a skeleton key around 8 a.m. He lit a match and walked in through the dark main living room. To the left of the living room was a small bedroom. The light from the match was just bright enough to reveal Lena and Ina Stillinger. Their heads were covered in a blood-soaked sheet that was stretched tightly down on them. Ross understandably freaked out, turned around, and got the heck out of there. And uh, he called the local hardware store, telling one of his employees, Ed Shelley, to fetch the marshal, Hank Horton, because something terrible had happened. Hank had arrived at the scene about 8.30 in the morning and started his investigation. When he came out, he told Ross that somebody had been murdered in every bed, and the partially cleaned murder weapon was still left leaning against the south wall of the downstairs bedroom, next to where the Stillinger girls were found. Villisca was such a small town that word had, spread, had traveled so fast that the murder of the murders that by noon that day over a hundred people had gathered at the home and the sheriff at the time let them tour the home still with the bodies in it and even let them examine the murder weapon so any actual evidence of the crime was immediately ruined it was only when the national guard that had arrived that they kicked everyone out and tried for a proper investigation it is believed that the killer or killers had entered the home during the program that evening made their way to the attic closet upstairs and waited for the family to go to sleep. Once sure the family had gone to bed, they crept out of the closet and went to the top of the stair landing where Joe and Sarah slept. And with Joe's own axe they had kept in the backyard, bashed in their skulls with the backside of the axe. There were blade nicks all over the ceiling from the upswing of the, of the axe and blood showered the walls. He then turned his sights down the hole to a small bedroom where four children slept, two girls in one bed and two boys in the other. He set his sights on the girls next and hit them with the back of the axe as well, and then the boys shared the same fate. The ceiling and the walls were covered with blood and cuts from the axe blade. Lastly, making his way down the stairs into the Stillinger's girls' room to finish the job. Um, each victim that night had taken at least 20 to 30 blows to the head. Afterwards, he made his way to the kitchen and smoked a few cigarettes, cooked himself a plate of food, but never bothered to eat it. And as tragic as all this is, stranger is the fact that the murderer had left a four-pound slab of bacon leaning against the wall next to the axe. 
Also, he had taken the time to search the dresser drawers for clothing to cover the mirrors in the house and the glass in the entry doors. On the table, the kitchen, or on the table of the kitchen, was the plate of the uneaten food and a cup of bloody water. All the victims were found in their beds with bedsheets covering their heads and their skulls battered 20 to 30 times with the back of the axe. Where Joe and Sarah had slept, Joe was found on his back and had his arm leaning off the side of the bed. He had a pair of pants that were still folded over the footboard of the bed with money, a check, and keys still inside. Sarah's shoes that were at the foot of the bed were pooled full of blood, and it looked like it looked as though the murderer had knocked one of the shoes over and it spilled all over the floor. Also, a strange puddle of blood was found at the top of the stairs, as if the killer stood to admire what he had done. He left a lantern at the foot of Sarah and Joe's bed, and also Lena and Ina Stillinger's bed. This guy was so messed up, he lit up the room just to admire his work after the fact. Also, Lena Stillinger's nightgown had been pushed up, and she was left exposed. Doctors concluded that she had not been sexually abused, but Lena also had a blood stain on her knee and a defensive wound on her arm. The more Stillinger funeral service were held were held in Villisca Town Square on June 12, 1912, uh, with thousands in attendance. National Guardsmen blocked the streets as a hearse moved towards the firehouse where the eight victims lay in their caskets. They were not on display during the funeral and were later carried on several wagons to the Villisca Cemetery for burial. The funeral cortege was 50 carriages long. And although no one has ever been found guilty for the murders, there was one man who was tried twice, Reverend Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly. Kelly had arrived in Novaliska for the first time that Sunday morning and attended the Sunday school program by the Stillinger girls before departing early that Monday morning. Kelly at 5.19 a.m. the morning following the murders got on board a westbound number five train then allegedly told fellow travelers that there were eight dead souls back in Villisca, Iowa, butchered in their beds while they slept. He said that even though the bodies had not been discovered yet, or he said that even though the bodies had not yet been discovered. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Kelly returned two weeks later, posting a, posing as a detective, and joined a tour of the murder house with a group of investigators. Kelly was the son and grandson of English ministers, he had come to America with, with his wife in 1904. Kelly had preached at Methodist churches across North Dakota, Minnesota, Kansas, and Iowa. He was assigned as a visiting minister to several small communities north of Villisca, and during this time, he was convicted of sending obscene material through the mail and had spent some time in a mental hospital. He had suffered a mental breakdown when he was a child and apparently was a bit of a pervert. The grand jury indicted Kelly for Lena Stillinger's murder and was interrogated throughout the summer of 1917. While in jail awaiting trial on August 31st at 7 a.m., Kelly signed a confession to the murder saying, God had whispered to him, suffer the children to come unto me. Shortly after, the, of course, Kelly recanted, recanted his confession at trial and his case went to the jury on September 26th. The jury deadlocked 11 to 1 for acquittal and a second jury was immediately impaneled, but acquitted Reverend Kelly in November. And no one else has been tried for this since. Also a side note, the house was located by a railway, 
Um, it wasn't uncommon for people to have strangers come and stay at your house while traveling to feed them, let them sleep, and then they would go about their business the next day. It was also very strange that all the doors were locked when the murderer had left, and all the mirrors and glass were covered, which was odd, you know. Um, this kind of makes me think of like some Jewish practices where they would cover the mirrors in morning when someone passes. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if the murderer was Jewish or not, but um, why would he leave bacon by the axe? That's that's also just stuff that kind of was going through my mind. Like, why would anybody do this? You know, um, it seems like man, I have got so many questions. <laughs> right. It's uh, he left so many strange things at the scene that just don't add up. But you know, just worth mentioning. Um, yeah, also on the spiritual side of things, and I don't know if, you know, clearly the guy was out of his mind, but, you know, some people think that mirrors are portals or gateways. Maybe the killer was out of his mind or something like that. But the Velisca house has been named one of the most haunted houses in America and has been fe featured on plenty of TV shows like Ghost Adventures. And they also do tours where you can stay in the night and have an experience all of your own. So... Do you know how much it costs tonight? Is it kind of like an Airbnb? I actually don't know. I know you have to make reservations, and there's an entire website for it. But, um, yeah, I didn't uh, go into that much detail on how much it costs. But, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. So I'm going to take a stab at it. Um, sure. Okay, this story is just absolutely insane. And I'm, actually, I'm, look I'm looking at pictures online right now. And like I said earlier, it's just a little white house. Um, I don't know if that's a big red barn in the back, but it also shows another house. I'm not sure which direct. I don't know if that was there or if that had just, you know, if that's been built there previously. But So as far as the uh, original pictures of the home went, there was the, the red barn and just the white house. And then the neighbor to the west, she lived like a couple blocks away. So... Interesting. So if you look at the, they believe you, you were saying that they, uh, they believe that they had stayed in the attic. And if you look at the attic, the attic looks really flipping creepy. It looks big enough that you could, you know, walk crouched in. Um, yeah. So they've actually had people go in there and it's about, I mean, where they believe that the murderer or murderer's kid was in about a four foot, um, attic storage area which was just right above like the main living area um no the living room area i should say and the way that the house is is that once you exit that room to the left would be the small bedroom and the parents kind of slept on top of like the top of the landing of the staircase there they didn't really have a bedroom it was just kind of out in the open and then you went downstairs and you had your kitchen in the back and uh the guest room and then the main living room. And that was pretty well the size of the house. It's a very small building, but um, yeah. Also, just looking at pictures of the axe, too. So in you know 1910, or is what, what you were saying, um, the axe type is, it, it looks like it's one of those ones where you have like the wooden handle and then you have the metal top on it and you hit the wedge in there to keep it on there. Right. So if yeah. they were hit in the head of the back of the axe, that doesn't really create a large uh, 
Like there's not a lot of volume to the back of the axe. It's it's pretty much big enough just to hit like a nail in or something. So if you're going to kill someone, why would you use the back of the axe? Why wouldn't you just use the sharp part? Were you, was he like afraid he was going to get stuck or something? Or I don't know. And that's just it. Like maybe it was, you know, more vicious of an attack that way. But honestly, like in order to do something like that, and this is just my opinion, I don't know. But you would have to go to like the parents first, you know what I mean? Give them a couple whacks and then move your way down the hallway. You know, take out everybody else before waking anybody else up in the house. And then go back and finish your little rage or whatever the deal is, you know? You also, so you were also saying too that how each, uh, each of them had been hit in the head 20 or 30 different times. That's correct. Yeah, you'd have you'd have to think that whoever did this had blood all over their back because if you're hitting down and then swinging up and blood splattering everywhere, this person, you know, was probably covered, absolutely covered in blood, of you know lifting the axe up and over his head, and then dropping it down again over and over and over. So, did they did they say anything about maybe like finding clothes or or like anything around that had a bunch of blood on them or? I mean, obviously everything was soaked in blood, like the walls, their clothes, everything, like their their shoes were covered in like soaked in blood, like the mom's, like hers was most significant because I guess it had pulled up so bad on the bed, it just poured into her shoes. And um, yeah, the killer had knocked one of them over and spilled all over the floor. So it was uh, stained pretty bad. It's also interesting. Also too... said that. Sorry, go go for it, John. So he also said that, you know, at the end of uh, what he did in each room, there was a puddle of blood at the end of the bed or there was a puddle of blood at the top of the stairs. So it goes to show that he was covered any single time that he took a, you know, he stopped somewhere. He left a puddle you know, underneath him. Right. Yeah. At least from at least from the axe. I mean, and, and what really boggles my mind is the, the mere fact that, you know, the sheriff back then. They didn't even set up a perimeter, like, didn't stop anybody from coming in the house. There was over 100 people that toured that house, literally destroying any sort of evidence. They let people handle the murder weapon, you know what I mean? While the people were still, like, while the victims were still in their beds, and uh, not even a forethought to, hey, you what know, maybe the like, <laughs> Right, just come on through, take a look, you know, that. And, and I get it, you know, it's like... A super small town, 1912. That sort of stuff doesn't ever hardly happen. So it spread like fire, wildfire, you know. They're all in just such big shock that they're all like, "How? How is this pot?" Like, I'm sure with it when it was reported around, people didn't believe it. They're like, "What? Like a little Christian, Christian town? Like what are you? What are you talking about?" But that that does seem iffy. And then and then something else too that you know I've just been kind of been thinking about a little bit is. You were saying that he covered the windows and the mirrors of sheets, and that there he brought a pound of bacon with him. Um, Clothing, and we're not sure where the four pounds of bacon came from, but yeah, it was leaned against the axe um, in the Stillinger's room, the the little girl's room that uh, he had murdered last. He basically just put the murder weapon on the south wall and uh, leaned some bacon next to it as well. How, how, do you, how do you kill people and then decide that, hey, I'm just going to go kick myself a breakfast and and then, you know, maybe maybe something, maybe something he saw something outside that maybe scared him a little bit and he's like, I no longer have an appetite or something. You know what I mean? How do you 
I don't understand how you do something like that. And you're so calmly like, Hey, let's, uh, you know, let's have some, let's have some food now. And then like I was saying, maybe, maybe he saw something and that's why he decided not to eat it. It seems, it seems very well planned out. And it right. also seems very well, uh, he, he knew what he was doing. I'm, I'm sure that whoever had done this had maybe previously done something like that to animals or had some practice because it seems almost, it's, it doesn't seem very sloppy at all. It seems very, very, uh, planned see, out particular. During that, during that same time period, man, there was a couple of other ax murderers going along throughout the nation. Um, like the new Orleans ax man and, um, some, people up in New York um, that had also been victims to an axe murder, but like still no one's ever caught him. No one has any idea. They believe that maybe uh, just a theory, of course, that uh, he was just a, one of those guys who get on a train, travels from state to state, gets off, kills off a family for kicks or murders somebody with his axe for kicks and just goes about his business. But yeah, the axe that they did use was Joe's axe. It was in his backyard, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, he used it for splitting wood and keeping the house house warm, you know. So. How do you do that and not do it again, though? Because I know a lot of serial killers get the satisfaction of, hey, I did it. I got away with it. Right. And, and not it's not even just one person. It was a whole family that was was completely taken out in a very horrendous way how does how does the guy that do it not get the satisfaction of hey didn't get caught let's go do it again somewhere else you know right yeah no i have no idea (laughs) what goes through someone's mind with all of that so if if they're in the house like can you imagine being a kid like what if you what if you like saw one of the dudes staring at you like you look up and and you, you see the dude staring at you but you don't you don't like see him actually you know how creepy that would be Oh, yeah, that'd be horrifying. Much less just sleeping there, and then you just hear thud, 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 you know what I mean? And know that that's somebody being attacked right in the same room as you. You know? That'd be horrifying. Last few minutes of your life. Like, can't even imagine. What's your take, John? Heard a lot about this this story, and... The one guy that went on trial was acquitted on both times. Um, my understanding, there was also a guy a couple uh, cities away that was uh, under investigation for another axe murder in that uh, within two or three cities. And it was just there were so many things that were going on with this case when uh, you know after the fact that they didn't know which way to go. Um, me personally, I think the guy that went on a trial for it, I think he was actually talking about it on the train the next morning before the bodies were found. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. He already knew all the information before all the, uh, before everyone else even uh, found out that there were bodies in the house. So whether he was, you know, the only person involved or he was uh, someone. If there was more than one person involved in this, you know, for me, I think that he was the guy that did it. It's just everyone walking through the crime scene again. It was 1912. No one really knew. Uh, the cops were probably, you know, something they've never dealt with before. They're in shock themselves. So of course, everything gets uh, disturbed at the scene, and 
messed up and nothing really goes from there. But I think they caught the right guy and uh, find a jury of 12 that would convict. Sean, question for you. So if he was tried twice, why was he let go both times? Just not not enough evidence or jury 11 to one and it never said what the second reason was um yeah uh all i know is that uh he was only really indicted for uh, lena stillinger's murder um yeah this guy he he had some mental issues and uh apparently was jumping from town to town as a minister and um yeah he just uh I don't know, was a bit of a pervert too, which is which is why, you know, um they pinned him for Lena, I think the most, because when they found her, they found her partially exposed. And she was the only one with a defensive wound as well. And she had a blood stain on her knee, which means that at some point, poor Lena was the only one that, that had to really consciously deal with any of this. You know, she knew what was happening. So Well, if you kill each person one by one and you're laying right next to your spouse, I'm sure you have to hear something. You have to hear the horrendous sound of of bone crunching and just uh, you know, just the phys- physics of of the force of the axe hitting on the bed. I'm sure that would you know would have to shake the bed. I don't. We obviously don't know how like light of a sleeper she was. She did have kids, so I would assume that she's pretty pretty regular waking up for for crying babies and stuff so maybe maybe she saw this guy's face maybe he had a conversation with her before he knocked her cold too like that's just some information that's that's completely lost to True. Lost. Yeah. And the, you yeah. know the only witness that may maybe did see this sick sick bastard um you know is is obviously not with us no longer so yeah you know most of this is a just a speculated case because after they let 100 people in you know, all, all evidence was lost, every, every ounce of it. So, yeah, I remember, I remember seeing something that a crime scene, the most critical hour, they have like a three-hour period that they can, you know, in in today and with today's technology, they can go in and like DNA tests. But after three hours, that's where kind of nature kicks in, and uh, you you start losing stuff. Um, and so, it, you know, how, how long did these people sit in the house? Did they speculate three or four days before the neighbor came over and said, hey, why aren't you guys out doing, doing your chores and stuff? No, it was actually the next morning. So it, it just happened that night. So the next morning, the neighbor was outside, you know, and, and back in those days, you probably were outside feeding the horses and, and taking care of whatever, you know, the, your chores you had to do early in the day. And uh, she just came out and noticed they weren't outside and, walked past the house and the horses were probably freaking out or something. And yeah, I noticed that everything was shut up on the house. Like she couldn't see inside. She knocked on the door and it looked like the whole place had been deserted. So, um, yeah, with that, she went ahead and just called, uh, Joe's brother and tried to get him to come investigate. And he had taken just a few steps inside the house into that bedroom and, and saw what he saw and got the heck out of Dodge, man. Just try to get help any way they could. So now everyone in the town needs to go to counseling now. Right. <laughs> I know I know if I saw something like that, that would truly, truly mess me up. Like I, I talk about a lot of stuff and and I do research on a lot of information and, and just, just learning learning the aspect of the story, but actually like seeing it first person um would dramatically, you know, change your perspective on it. Um so a lot of people don't know this, but uh 
Sean is actually our ghost guy. He is our paranormal expert. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far as far as an expert goes. <laughs> yeah. Yo, I'm not even joking. John's a creepy motherfucker when it comes to uh comes to ghost stuff. From from what I've heard, um, you know, I, I would say that you know a lot more about ghosts and uh probably a lot more about like terminology and stuff than than just your average Joe. So on this podcast, just accept the role of you're our paranormal expert, okay? That sounds great, man. <laughs> so you're talking about our you got something, John? No, I was just uh what what, what is a paranormal expert, you know? So it, it's literally the definition of Sean. What what he's done. Sean, and okay, people, Sean. People can Sean, learn Sean that is later. our <laughs> Sean is our expert. <laughs> So you were talking about how people speculate that this house is haunted, paranormal. Have, you mind sharing some incidences or why why do people think it's haunted? Have people seen a ghost or has a ghost so, appeared to anybody or anything? So, you know, I, I can only vouch for the videos. Clearly, I've never actually been there or done anything like that. But, yeah, they will have, uh, you know, you can set up your own paranormal team and whatnot. They like to... Um, go in with uh, flashlights, and they'll they'll speak to the to the spirits there, and tell them to turn it on on and off the flashlights. And um, they will take uh, spirit boxes, which is just a a box that plays white noise that um, they believe you know spirits can manipulate to have their voice come over. And um, they get voices every once in a while communicating back with them on that. Um, you know, there's uh, actually like goodness dozens of videos on YouTube. Um, from not just you know ghost adventures and stuff like that, but from other paranormal groups that are out there and and just people you know spending the night that have videotaped and and posted their experiences on there. It's it's pretty fun. Some of it's wild. Some of it's uh, you know a little cheesy, but um, yeah, it, it was uh, it, it's interesting to watch. So what, like, like, like paranormal status though? Like, have, have these teams that have gone in have they reported like seeing ghosts or, or hearing noises or like have yeah, they actually so, found info? Because obviously, if people say it's haunted, meaning that, you know, multiple people have to go in and have 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 an effect of being there. So um, they're being like doors opening and closing in place. Um, they say they feel like you know you're being watched. Um, you see shadows. Um, if you sit on the bed, the bed moves, you know, jiggles, um, like someone sitting next to you. And, um, yeah, you know, just, uh, just things of that nature. Interesting. I still don't understand why you'd cover the, the windows and, and the mirrors with, with, with sheets, though. That's still something that's not quite clicking in my brain. Like, why, why would you so, do that? I, I know that, like, uh, Sometimes in uh, Jewish passings and stuff like that, when someone passes, they cover mirrors and and windows. And I think it's just a, a respect thing, as far as I understand. Um, clearly, I'm not Jewish, so I don't want to misquote that in any way. But um, I do know that also on the paranormal side of things, you know, like maybe he's a wackadoo. Like some people think that uh, mirrors are, are portals, like they invite spirits in through and summon things through it so maybe he just didn't want to see or maybe he didn't want to see himself you know on a psychological level of it like maybe he couldn't stand to the side of himself going from room to room with this you know i have no idea but it is an odd <laughs> strange piece of evidence i should say 
I just looked up this tweaker online and he just has that, that, I don't know, something in his eyes. Obviously the pictures in black and white, you know, 1810, 1812, do not judge. But, uh, if you just, I don't know if you look at this guy, he just, uh, it, he, I don't know. Yeah. An aggressive, an aggressive stare is, is probably the best terminology of saying it. Just, just, I, I don't know if it's the facial features or what. It's just his, I don't know, something with his eyes. He just is staring into your soul when he's looking yeah. at you. The other thing about him is he's just, he's so small statured. You know what I mean? Like very um, wiry looking, I should say. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> he, he almost looks too old to fit in the murder profile, in, in my opinion. But like at the same time, he's, he could have done it. I have no idea. What I remember learning about the case is they were actually looking for a shorter statured man because of how someone would be holding the axe, the dents in the ceiling from the backswing of it. They were actually speculating that there's going to be some kind of shorter man um, that would cause those. Uh, if there's someone taller, it would have been either deeper gouges or um, gouges in a different area. Wait, wait, yeah. you're, so you're saying that, that there was gouges again, in this the guy ceiling is shorter. From from the backswing is that, that what you're saying that's correct yeah it was all up in the ceilings so he'd swing up hit the roof and then go down and how in the hell do you not hear that in the other room i, I know that's what i'm saying like there's so many factors and that's why people also think and speculate that there might have been more than one killer you know that um because you would have to move super quickly and but Again, there's only one murder weapon, so I don't know. This is 1910. Let's be honest. Like a wooden house, I'm sure that floor creaks to high hell when you're walking around in there. It still does, <laughs> yeah. From the views that I've seen, yeah. Gong, 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 gong. You know, I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like someone, and I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of them were alive and just you know were hiding in the sheets, just pulling the blankets over their head because they weren't, you know, wasn't quite sure what was going on. Hoping for the best, yeah. But can can you just imagine the terror of of just you know hiding under your sheets because you think you think there's a boogeyman there, and you, you know your mom told you you just go to sleep because there is no boogeyman, and then all of a sudden you wake up and and you're you're in heaven and you're like, what the fuck's going on? Like, be yeah, absolutely horrifying, especially as a kid, man. You know, and and even like these <laughs> pictures, these these kids are so young, like like the parents look, you know. You know, probably in their thirties, but these kids look like they're like ten, ten and below. Yeah, they they were super young kids. How can you justify you know murdering one, two, three, four, five young children like that? Absolutely baffles me, and with an axe too. I agree, man. I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, if you've ever stayed in this house. And you're listening to this podcast. I really want you to uh, to reach out to us and tell us your experience. For sure, uh, I would. I'd like to know. We do have an Instagram page now. It's called Clap by Fire. Uh, you can actually get on there and private message if you want. And uh, I probably won't reply back to you. But um, if you just want to message me, give me your thoughts. Or Th this is in Ohio, right? Iowa. Oh, Iowa. So it's like in the bottom left hand corner of Iowa. Right, interesting yeah. 
there was a great story heard it in a bunch of different places and each place that i hear it you know you hear something a little bit new something a little different everyone has their own little take on it so it was good awesome story um I can't remember where, but I remember hearing a story where there was a murder and they found one of the bodies in the, in, in the barn outside. And that's what I was kind of, I thought this was that story, but I'm obviously getting, getting them mixed up, but <clears throat> yeah, crazy, absolutely crazy uh, yeah. story. And it, it's, it's absolutely crazy that, you know, the guy was never caught. So just know that, you know, he's probably dead by now because this did happen in 1910, 1912-ish, but Still, just knowing that he never got caught and that someone out there was still living that had brutally murdered someone is ab- absolutely terrifying. For sure, yeah. You know, I think the FBI reported a couple years ago that uh, in any given time in the United States, there's seven active serial killers in the United States. Holy cow. And uh, the likeliness of you, like, walking by one, or I'm, I'm not sure the, the exact numbers, but just... Uh, can you imagine sitting in the diner and you sat by someone and then you later see them in the news as someone that like brutally raped and murdered people? Like it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. That'd be nuts, man. And who's to say that one of those uh aren't on this pot you know podcast right now? John, you're pushing it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you brought up my birthday, so I gotta make some kind of threats. <laughs> Okay, so the Valenciata mur- axe murder has been clapped. Great story, Sean. Appreciate that. Was really that was really good. And like I like I was saying a little bit earlier too, um, we did create an Instagram page, and so if you want to get on and give us a follow, um, I'm going to be posting weekly pictures of the topics on there. And so if you're listening and you're a little bit curious to um, how the person may have looked or 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 anything like that. Um, we do have some pictures up right now of our previous episodes. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much uh, so you can just get on and see uh, what the topic was about that week and a picture to, to, to go with it. So <clears throat> again, just clap by fire on Instagram. It was a great episode. Cool. Well, uh, have a good one, guys. We'll see you later. All right. See you.